6 this morning, Romans 6, verses 3 and 4 to begin. Well, it is good to be with you. It feels like we're home. We have spent three years of our lives in the South, and we enjoyed those three years. They were a precious gift. In those three years, we grew an appreciation for fried chicken, a proper cut of brisket, uh, we grew an appreciation for big boy football, the SEC. We learned to love that, although I will say that is why you have weekly repentance in your liturgy. Your recruiting practices need repentance. That's why that's in there. So we're not playing the same game y'all are playing. We grew an appreciation for the oppressive heat. We learned to like it. It's okay. But most of all, we fell in love with all of you. Uh, families like the Corleys, just wonderful gifts from God to share life with and all of you. You are brothers and sisters in the Lord. And geography is nothing compared to the unifying work of the gospel in Christ. And so we are privileged to open God's word with you. So on behalf of my family, thank you for your hospitality and your love. And let's hear from God's word as we turn to Romans chapter 6 this morning as we begin in verses 3 and 4. Brothers and sisters, hear the word of the Lord. Do you not know that all of you who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Brothers and sisters, let's pray. Father, this is your sufficient word. Father, this is your clear word. We do not need a special degree in this moment. It is clear for all of us to receive it. Father, this is your necessary word in this moment. We thank you for all that you have revealed in creation. But Lord, creation does not reveal all that you would have us to know. So Father, help us to be attentive to what your word reveals. And Father, this word is authoritative. God, we thank you that this is not a suggestion. This is not something we can ponder and do with it as we see fit. But this is you speaking to your children, directing us as we ought to live. So, Father, in our minds and in our hearts, have us in that posture, ready to receive this word and to be transformed in light of wherever it will take us. And, Father, we know, as always... It's going to take us to Christ. And so may we be once again transformed in his image. And it's for his glory we pray. As all God's people say, amen. amen. Romans 6, beginning again in verse 3. Listen to how this word begins by the Apostle Paul. Do you not know? Paul has been out preaching and he's writing to the church in Rome. And he is passionate that you would be clear on something. That you would not have any hint of doubt about the truth of Jesus. And when you listen to Romans chapter 6 there in 3 to 4, what does he say? But drop down into verse 4. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, Paul is saying to you this morning, I want you to be absolutely clear on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know it, and I want you to rejoice in it. Why? Look at what he says at the end of the verse, there in verse 4. He was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, that we too 
might walk in newness of life. Paul is saying this to us this morning. The resurrection of Jesus will direct how you live your life. The degree to which you understand and rejoice in the resurrection is the degree to which you will walk in newness of life. And Paul wants that for his people. And so my preference as a pastor is to take a text and to go word by word, line by line through one text and just mine it until everything is out of that text. But this morning, we're not going to do that. We're going to go through the New Testament, and I want to show you a theme around the resurrection. And I want you to walk out of here this morning rejoicing in the resurrection. And I want you to walk out of here with a comfort and a rest in the resurrection. I want you to walk out of here with a spine of steel going up your back for your life because the resurrection is true. And I want you to leave this place because of the resurrection with an endurance for the life that God will call you to. We're going to do that in five ways. First, you're going to see a big picture about the resurrection. Then I'm going to show you four responses to the resurrection of how your life will change today if you delight in the resurrection. So go to the book of Acts with me. And I want you to begin, and I want you to see big picture what is happening in the resurrection. Acts chapter 2, begin with me in verse 22. And listen to these familiar words. Acts 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works, and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Verse 24. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it all right first big idea this morning the resurrection of the lord jesus christ is a trinitarian work and in the resurrection i want your eyes on the trinity and i want you to see that the trinity is united in the resurrection of jesus what did it say there but in verse 24 listen to it again god raised him up When you think about the resurrection, every Sunday in this place, and you sing these songs, what was the Father's role in the resurrection? But that He sent the Son to meet His demands of holiness. And the Father, in the resurrection, being satisfied in His just wrath, looked at Christ and said, Accomplished. Now get up. Arise. Forty more days. You're going to live on this earth. I want you to rise. The Father's eyes with a heart of love are satisfied in christ and desire the resurrection to happen just just think about how much god planned this Um, if you know your jewish calendar which i don't i had to look it up so i'd be shocked if you knew your jewish calendar there's a month called nisan in the jewish calendar and on nisan the 14th they would sacrifice the lambs every single year you know what the father orchestrated That on the 14th of Nisan, what would happen to Jesus? But he'd be sacrificed as the lamb. And then the Jews would wait a few days. In the same month of Nisan, on the 16th, 
they would have the festival of the first fruits. Celebrating what? The first fruits of the harvest. And what did the Father plan on Nisan the 16th? Was that Jesus would be raised from the dead, that the Apostle Paul would one day look back at in 1 Corinthians 15 and say, Jesus, he's the first fruit. Your Father in heaven planned and orchestrated the revelation and the resurrection of Jesus, and he delights in it. Now, what did Jesus do? Jesus in his resurrection? Listen to John chapter 2, verse 19. But you will remember Jesus walking with the crowds. And what does he do in John 2, verse 19? But he looks at the temple and says, see that place? See the holy of holies? See where God resides? Tear it down. And in three days, what will I do? But I'll build it back up. I'll put every stone back in place. And he's not talking about brick and mortar. What's he talking about? Himself. Jesus in John 10, verse 18 says, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Ready? And I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it back up again. Jesus, in the resurrection, says, You want to see my power? I voluntarily laid it down, and in this moment, I'm going to voluntarily pick it back up. The Father is orchestrating the resurrection. Jesus is saying, I got this. I can lay it down. I can pick it back up. And now listen to what the Holy Spirit says in Romans 8, verse 11. But this, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. The third member of the Trinity in Romans chapter 8, verse 11 is declared to be the one who joins with the Father and the Son, raises Jesus from the dead by His power. Now here's what I want you to hear this morning. From that quick run through Scripture, the Father is fixed on the resurrection. Jesus is fixed on the resurrection. The Holy Spirit says, get over here, look at the resurrection, look at what I did, look at my power. The Trinity, in all their glory, says, this is what we are about. The power of the resurrection, then coming into your life by the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, verse 11. So here's the first big idea this morning. I want you to know, from the Word of God, that the resurrection is a unified work of the trinity listen if you want unity in your life be unified be committed to what the trinity is delighting in the trinity is all about the act of the resurrection and the power of the resurrection each and every single morning when you wake up and your feet hit the floor god what's the resurrection going to do today How is the one who raised Christ from the dead, who dwells in me, going to make that power on display today? Because your eyes are fixed on the resurrection. This is a deep comfort to our lives. That each and every day you can rest assured that the Trinity has accomplished all that it desires through the work of the resurrection of Christ. Now, some people are going to come along to you and say, that's silly. 
You really should not base your life on the resurrection at all. I don't care what the Trinity is doing. You should not do that. You want to hear one person? Gandhi. Gandhi, one of the great spiritual thinkers of the ages, said this. His death, Jesus, on the cross, oh, it was a great example to the world. That's pretty high praise. But. That there were anything like a mysterious or miraculous work in it? My heart could never accept that. Gandhi, one of the greatest spiritual thinkers the world has ever seen, looks at Jesus' death and goes, oh yeah, that, that happened. Anything after that? That's a step too far. You need to slow your roll and stop it. That's too much. Now, what are we going to do with that? The spiritual thinker of our day is saying, you've gone too far. Well, I want to show you, no, 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 no. In the resurrection, Gandhi, we find everything. So here are four examples I want you to see from the resurrection of Jesus. Go to Mark chapter 3. And I want you to see his mother's response to the resurrection. So in Mark chapter 3, you're in the gospel of Mark. You're going to get introduced to Jesus' family. They're kind of like yours, an odd bunch. And in Mark chapter 3, you get some pretty honest statements about Jesus. Go with me in Mark chapter 3 and begin in verse 21. We'll even back up in verse 20 of Mark chapter 3. Then he went home, and the crowds gathered again, so that they could not even eat. He, there is Jesus. And when his family heard it, They went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. So Jesus' family is there. Jesus begins part of his public ministry, and he's preaching. And he goes out, and Jesus starts to make disciples. And his family, his mother, and his half-siblings look at him and say what? You see it there in the verse. He is out of his mind. Jesus, you have got to cut this out, man. Stop it. You're embarrassing the family name. People in town are starting to talk about you, and they think you're crazy, and so do we. Jesus, are you, quote, out of your mind, verse 21. That's the mother in the family of Jesus. Now, flip to the right, Acts chapter 1. I want you to hear the same people. And I want you to hear how they speak about Jesus in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. All these were with one accord, and they were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women. And who's there? But Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers you go from mark 3 jesus cut it out and get in this house you're embarrassing the family to acts chapter 1 gathered after his death and resurrection worshiping and continuing in the movement of the lord jesus christ his mother goes from you're embarrassing us to falling at his feet and worshiping as a disciple. His brothers go from get in the house to how can we get out of the house on behalf of your name. What changed him? The resurrection. 
They looked at the resurrection of Christ and said, if that is true, then everything changes. Jesus, I'm not worried about being embarrassed by you anymore. Because in you, I have found the power of life through the very resurrection. Now, boys and girls, you've got a challenge this week, okay? If you're under 18, here's your challenge this week. You have one week to convince your parents to worship you and become your disciple, okay? That's all you're going to do this week. You've got one week to, or maybe one of your siblings, see if you can make it happen. Now, here's my guess. Next week, when you come back, None of you are going to be worshiping your brother or your sister. And if you are, the church will provide free counseling, medication. We'll take care of it. We'll get you church discipline. Whatever you need, we'll get you out of that. But none of you are going to do that. Why? Because it's crazy. But if your half-brother resurrected and he's the second member of the Trinity, then what is the only response of your life? But like his mother. And like his brother, to fall at his feet in adoration and worship and say, I will follow you. The resurrection transforms family into disciples. And brothers and sisters, that's what we are all about. We are his disciples now because of the resurrection. You want to see another transformation? Go to the Gospel of John. In John chapter 20, I want you to see a significant transformation because of the resurrection. Begin with me in John 20, verse 24. And you're going to see a complete transformation. Beginning in verse 24, it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my fingers into the marks of the nails and place my hands into his side, I will never believe. You hear what he's saying? Yeah, this is too much. I was with Jesus. I'm not getting tricked again. I gave my life to this and he failed me. He's dead. He's gone. I'm not doing that again one of the more popular critics of jesus right now is a man by the name of richard dawkins you might be familiar with him he's a very popular scientist he's an atheist thinker atheist no god he's confident in his belief listen to the quote he says about christians richard dawkins says this the virgin birth the resurrection the raising of lazarus Even the Old Testament miracles are all freely used for religious propaganda. And they are very effective, ready, with an audience. That's you. You're the audience here. Now, you're actually worshipers, but he looks at you and says you're just a simple audience of, here's your description, unsophisticated children. So Richard Dawkins looks at you this morning in Clanton, Alabama. You've gathered to worship the resurrected Christ. And he says, in this moment, I'm spewing propaganda and you are unsophisticated children with a spoon gladly souping it up. Why not give in to that? Why not cave under that pressure? Well, Thomas will show you. 
Go back to Thomas. Look at what he says. Thomas has all kinds of reasons. He gave all kinds of reasons to cave. Look at what he says there in verse 24 of John chapter 20. But he says again, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the hands and the marks, place my fingers in the marks of the nails, and place my hand inside, I will never believe. Go to verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you. This is the resurrected Christ. He's saying, peace with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hands and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. You see what he's saying here? He's saying, look, get after it, Thomas. Put your hand here. I want you to see this. Thomas answered him, verse 28, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have seen and yet not seen and yet have believed. Do you see what Thomas is doing? He gave his life to Christ and he lost him. He now comes with an honest and a sincere doubt. Now hear me. This is not a doubt that is an excuse to sin. See, many of us, we doubt the Christian faith. You know why? Because we don't like the order of God on our life. Frankly, we like to sin. You know why? Because it's fun. Because it's pleasurable. Because I want to. And so you know why I don't want to follow Jesus? Because he's going to make me stop it. And he's going to order my life around holiness. And my flesh doesn't like it. So I'll find a reason to disbelieve. I'll come up with a criticism. I'll believe Richard Dawkins so I can go about my merry little way doing what King Jeremy wants to do. That's not what Thomas is doing. Thomas had real questions. And he wanted to know, listen, if I am going to give my life to you, I saw you die. I know you're dead. If I'm back in, I need to know you rose. And what does Jesus do to him? He does not condemn him for his doubt. He does not shame him for his honest questions of seeking. But he says, come here. Come here. I can handle your questions. And I am good enough and I am true enough. And in my resurrection, I can overcome every doubt you have. And Thomas touches. And the power of the resurrection of Christ transforms Thomas into one who has honest doubt, into one with a confident and bold faith. What does church history teach us? That Thomas gives his life for the gospel. He is all in because of the resurrection, and that he's on his way to India to plant and expand the work of Christ. And listen, he didn't cash in flyer miles and fly first class. He walked to India. That was his level of commitment. He's like, I am in. Why? Because he rose. And if he rose, then this is true. So let's go. The resurrection is a reminder that all of us will have honest, genuine doubt. Bring your doubts to the Lord. Bring them to your pastor, just not when he's on sabbatical. Bring them to your elders. Bring them to the 89-year-old woman in this church who has walked long in the faith, who has seen good days and hard days, and say, hey, here's my question. I think my faith makes me look silly. 
I get mocked for it at school and in college. Why are you still walking with the Lord? Let her speak into your life and let her testify why the resurrection of Christ proves he is good and true. Thomas's honest doubt is a model for all of us that the power of the resurrection overcomes even our deepest doubts. Number three, I want you to hear afresh what the resurrection does for you. Here's a quote from Nietzsche. He's one of the great philosophers. I'm sure you were reading him this morning in your quiet time. You and Nietzsche were out by the lake with a little coffee. I know I was. I was not. Not a chance. Here's the quote from Nietzsche. He says, Jesus, that guy, he died way too soon. Okay, where is this going to go, Nietzsche? What do you mean he died too soon? If Jesus had continued to live to my age, when Nietzsche wrote this, he was pretty old, he would have repudiated all of his doctrines. You hear Nietzsche saying? That Jesus was real, and he actually died. But if he would have kept living, he would have realized he was a fool. He would have realized that he was out of his mind, and he would have recanted everything he ever taught. One of the greatest philosophical thinkers of our day, Nietzsche says, this guy Jesus got out in front of his skis, and he would have course-corrected if the Romans didn't get to him first. Now, I want to hear something. No, he would not have. Go to Peter. Peter is a great example of how the resurrection changes all things. Who is Peter? But you remember Peter from his great experience of denying Jesus three times. And what was too much for Peter to overcome? The questions of a 12-year-old girl. Hey, weren't you with Jesus? No, 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 I was not. We're not going to go there. And what does Peter do? But he denies Jesus three times. Now, do not think you're better than Peter, okay? If you were in that moment... Chances are you're running with Peter. You're falling at the feet of the little 12-year-old girl, and you're abandoning Christ too. But, but this is Peter's story. Go to Acts chapter 1. And I want you to see how the man who denies Christ three times is transformed through the resurrection. Acts chapter 1, begin in verse 15. In those days, Peter, our precious Peter, stood up among the brothers and the company of persons and all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted in his share in the ministry. What is he saying here in verse 15 and 16? But that Jesus fulfilled the scriptures and that he was numbered among those who were arrested. And what is he doing? But he is out preaching the good news of the gospel. And he stands up and he is now confident in Christ and he is preaching about Jesus. Now, go over to chapter 4, verse 13. And listen what he is doing. In chapter 4, verse 13, he says now this. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Peter, 
goes from, I cannot handle the questions of a 12-year-old girl. I'm not going to give my life for this. Jesus dies. What changes? What gets Peter to go from that moment to an uneducated, common man, but speaking with boldness? What's the answer? The resurrection. It is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that causes Peter to say, what other choice do I have? I'm all in. Because he arose, I can go with boldness and confidence. And what good news for us? They're uneducated and common men. I want that to be a church's slogan. Just uneducated, common people for Jesus. That would be amazing if a church picked that up. We didn't. Somebody needs to. That would be great. Because why? Power's not in you. It's not in me. It's in the resurrection. That's where all the power lays. And Peter is simply tapping into the power of the resurrection. And the world's standing back going, that's different. Where, where did that come from? That's just not a personality or a way his mama raised him. That, that's not what that is. That's a man who's looking at what the Trinity's looking at. That's a man who's beholding what God ordained, what Jesus raised, and what the Spirit empowered. And then he's taking it into his regular life and saying, you fix your eyes on this too. You come to know the power of the resurrection. Resurrection transforms denial and failure into devotion and purpose. Hear me. Where have you failed? Where have you made a mess of your life? Where have you rejected and denied Christ overtly, passively, and blindly? Look to Peter who's looking to Christ. And be reminded that your failures, your sins, your rejection of Christ cannot outdo and overcome the power of the resurrection. Jesus delights to restore those who will walk in repentance and faith and return to Him for the power of the Gospel. Resurrection transforms denial and failure into devotion and purpose. And Peter goes right back to the people he's been with and he preaches and he leads and he blesses the early church. Likewise, Follow the power of the resurrection. Fourth, and finally, I want to give you an example of Saul to Paul. If you'll turn to Acts chapter 13 with me, you're going to see his transformation. And you're thinking, I I think I got this one. Well, that's good. You should have this one loaded in your head. Acts chapter 13. We're going to begin in verse 32. But just consider the story of Saul. Saul, an educated man in the ways of Judaism, loving God the Father, walking in the ways of the Old Testament, out there saying clearly, I am not on team Jesus. I am going to destroy those who follow Christ. I'm going to oversee those who are destroying those who follow Christ. I'm going to go out of my way to persecute the church. And then what happens? But the risen Jesus comes to Saul He blinds him. He knocks him down. Saul fasts for three days. And Saul repents and is converted. Why? Because he meets the resurrected Christ. And Saul goes to Paul because 
if Christ resurrected, then even Saul goes, I got to repent. I got to give up everything I was about. My whole life, I had worked myself to the top of the pyramid of Judaism. I had excelled. I had arrived. If the resurrection is true, then everything I built, it's got to go. And it is a trade of infinite value. And what happens? Listen to Acts chapter 13. Begin with me in verse 32. And here a man who met the resurrected Savior. And we, Paul preaching, bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us their children. How? By raising Jesus. Paul's new central message is what? My people, my beloved, get your eyes on the resurrection. And then look at what he says just down in verse 34. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He says, look, I want you again. Get your eyes back on the resurrection. Look at verse 36. For David, after he had served the purposes of God in his own generation, he fell asleep. And he was laid with his father and saw corruption. Remember, my people, David's dead. He died. Remember your Old Testament. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Look, I was at the top of the ladder. I knew everything about David. I taught about David. I knew he died. I knew he saw corruption. But in Jesus Because of his resurrection, he is the greater and better David. This is the one to put your entire life on. And then in verse 42, listen to how he finishes out his sermon. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting, the synagogue broke up. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. What has Saul to Paul now given his life to because of the resurrection? Preaching the good news of the gospel. In Saul to Paul, the resurrection displays to you that it can take enemies and make them evangelists. how, How do you put that to work in your life? Enemies. You've got them. You've got people, not only your enemies, you've got people who drive you nuts. That's why you shouldn't be on Facebook or Twitter at all. Just get off of it, right? It's just toxic to your soul. Cut it out. It's just getting you upset, right? You've you got enemies right here in Clan. You've got people right here in Clan who cannot stand what this church does on a weekly basis. They're hostile to the things of God. When you see someone who's hostile to the one you follow, can you look at them and go, all right, that, that's an enemy of the gospel. Oh, I know what the Trinity wants to do with him. You know what the Trinity wants to do with him? The Trinity wants to convict him of the power of the resurrection and transform him from an enemy to an evangelist. God, God I want to pray now for this enemy here in Clanton that you would do a Saul to Paul. How glorious would it be that five years from now, this church has people who could say, two years ago, five years ago, I was outright an enemy and hostile to the gospel. 
I laughed at you people for wasting a really good Sunday morning and not having a two-day weekend to do whatever you want. I thought you were the silliest people in town. But now, you, you can't get me out of here. You can't get me to stop talking about it. You can't get me to only sing five songs. I want ten. Let's go again. I want to sing about the gospel. Why? Because Jesus, in the power of his resurrection, has brought me from death to life. That was Saul to Paul. And this God is still doing that work. Why? Because he still has his people in this place. And the power of the resurrection will not just bring clean, nice, orderly people like some of us. But the power of the resurrection goes to all people in all places of every education, every income, every race, every status. Why? Because he is committed through the resurrection to bring every nation and every tribe and every tongue to himself. And he's going to do it right here in your midst. Saul to Paul, enemies to evangelists, because the resurrection overcomes all. And so this morning, the Trinity is fixated on the resurrection. May you be as well. May you come into this and rejoice that through the resurrection, family becomes disciples. That through the resurrection, whatever doubts you have, you can go to him and he will satisfy your doubts with truth. That through the resurrection, you can deny him and you can fail, but he will forgive you and restore you aright. And through the resurrection, he delights to take the most vilest of enemies and say, you're mine. You are mine and you belong to us. And so as you go from here today, and as we go from here, I want the resurrection to comfort you. Rest from your labor. Rejoice that in the resurrection, Jesus accomplished everything on your behalf. The Father looked at Him and was pleased to have Him rise. Rest in that this week. Second, in the resurrection, I wanted to put a spine of steel right in your back. The resurrection's true. And because of that, get to your day. Go live your ordinary, mundane day. Go get a haircut and do it to the glory of God and talk about the resurrection. Go to the farm store and buy your organic fertilizer or buy your poison fertilizer. I don't care what camp you're in. Go buy your fertilizer and do it to the glory of God because the resurrection's true. And talk about it, preach it, testify to it, and live in light of it. Have a confidence and a swagger, not in yourself, but because your eyes have been fixed on the Trinity and you see what they did in the resurrection. And if that's true, and it is, then you have all the power you need for what the Lord sets before you. Number three, go with great endurance. The resurrection doesn't mean you're going to have a great, easy life. But what it does do for you is assures you that when he calls you home, you will be justified, not in your works, but in that work, on that day, in that cross, in that resurrection. And so may you endure well whatever comes your way because Christ endured the cross 
and then was vindicated and resurrected as a guarantee on your behalf. If you've got the resurrection in front of your eyes, you've got all you need for life and for godliness. Live in light of that and let the world see it to the praise of his name. Let's pray. Father, we want to be marked deeply by your work. Father, we do not want to be weak, limp-wristed, passive individuals. For we have the power of the resurrection through the Spirit dwelling in us. So, Father, thank you for the transformation that comes, that does not leave us as you found us, and sets the purpose and very direction of our lives. Father, you are good. You are kind to us in this work. And so we pray for the week ahead, Lord, that this would deeply shape our lives. And Lord, we pray in advance for the week ahead that you would continue to lead us, men and women, boys and girls, who need to hear about a resurrected Savior, who need to come to the end of themselves and find their life in the resurrection of Christ. It is in his beautiful and eternal name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us as we respond to the gospel?